everyone. I'd like to welcome you back today with my latest guest, uh, Shani Danda. Shani is a disability inclusion specialist, and I can't tell you how excited I am to have Shani on this podcast with me today to talk about the world of disability inclusion. So hi, Shani. How are you? Nice to see you again. Hi, yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very good, thank you. Very good. And I know we've been trying to set this up for a while, but the moment's finally here, so I'm excited to uh, to dig, dig into things. And we've got a lot to talk about today, haven't we? We have indeed, yeah. Fantastic. Um, well, look, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you and how did we get here? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a very proud Brummie who lives in London. Um, I'm a South Asian woman who experiences disability and um, I'm a disability inclusion specialist. So I work with lots of different businesses and brands to really help them to transform the experience for their disabled customers and their employees. I'm also a broadcaster, so you can find me on a lot of daytime shows um, here in the UK, and I'm also a social entrepreneur, but all of my work is really connected with the common purpose of helping over-excluded groups to be visible and heard, and to really make society a fairer place for everybody to live in. Fantastic. And I mean, what would be great is if you could maybe share a bit about your personal journey to date around employment and just how you got here. Yeah, sure. So um, I was born with a really rare genetic condition. It's called brittle bone disease and it's characterized by bones that break without any trauma. So it's essentially like your bones are made out of glass and it means I just don't have to have an accident or an injury in order to break my bones. So my childhood was really unpredictable, full of lots of broken bones, lots of trips to hospital. Um, But, you know, it's a condition that I've learned to live with. But as a result of this condition, I have a short stature of three foot ten. So I'm about the height of a three or four year old. And I really struggled to enter the workforce at 16. So 16 was a really pivotal life moment for me. I just got my health under control um I, I you know had lots of surgery and treatment so you know I was a, a young enthusiastic 16 year old ready to live life my body was finally working with me and not breaking um but it had got to the point where I had applied for over 100 jobs and I didn't even get an interview until I removed any mention of my condition from my application and when I, when I look back on that time, you know, I was 16 then, I'm 35 now. I, I, think, I, I, can't, I can't believe how naive I was. And I also can't believe that no one warned me, like nobody around me warned me that there's so much stigma in, in entering the workforce as a disabled person. So, and then, you know, a lot of people ask, well, why did you put on your application that, you know, you're disabled? And it was purely um, because I have a you know very visible condition, and sometimes people can feel a bit awkward around me when they meet me for the first time. So I was only doing it to to help my prospective employer feel less awkward. But I didn't realise mm. it was going against me. So I did a bit of an experiment, and I took that one sentence off my covering letter. And as I said, I got an interview straight away, and I got a job straight away. So. It's really fair to say that at 16, I learned a real harsh life lesson that, you know, this stigma exists. Um, 
in, in regards to employability and disability, but also people are judging my ability based on my appearance. And there's not much I can do about that, is there? I, I can't change the fact that I have this condition. I can't change the fact I have a short stature. So it, it was, it was, yeah, it was quite a low point. It really left me feeling quite hopeless. And, you know, I thought, well, how am I going to live? Like, if I can't, if I can't even get an entry-level part-time job that needed no qualifications, then what is my life going to look like? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, thank you for sharing that. And, and I can't imagine, you know, how difficult that was at such a young age as well. I mean, one question I've got is you mentioned that you removed this from your cover letter but you subsequently went for the interview and got the job. And clearly when they met you for the first time, they would have seen that you were someone that had a disability. Do you feel that that impacted you when they saw you or did they just cover it and it was all normal for you? I mean, the difference between seeing it visually versus reading about it, do you think there's something in that? I mean, from what I remember, the interview went really well. Everyone was really friendly. Um, and I, you know, was really young. It was my first ever interview. I got the job. It was in telesales. I was really bad at the job. But nonetheless, you know, it gave me great experience, great interview experience. Um, and I was, that meant I was able to work throughout college. Um, so I think over time, I learned how to use the interview, um, how to learn that, how to use that interview experience as a way to help those that were interviewing me feel less awkward about it because you know a lot of people um, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to ask about things like that in an interview but I would I would flip it so I would say and you know if you employ me these are the adjustments that I I might need or you know I've already got this equipment so I would bring it along with me because I know that they're thinking it but they're not allowed to ask me so it's it's tough. Not only are you being interviewed, not only are you on the hot seat, but then it's 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 also my responsibility to put the interviewer at ease, which shouldn't be the case. But these are some of the situations that we as disabled people just find ourselves in just to survive. And look, for me, being in the world of, you know, executive search and interviewing people every day, I mean, that's a rare skill. So, you know, whilst it would be something you didn't want to do at the time, that's a skill that many others don't possess, which definitely will, you know, put you ahead of the pack um, in other things. I mean, let, let, let's put this into context a bit. So let's look at some statistics, because I don't think people actually understand the size and scale of this. So just give me an idea of how we can do that. Give me some stats. Yeah, sure. So... Um, I'm based in the UK and we have 14.6 million disabled people. Those are people that are self-disclosing or, you know, um, have, so, have some sort of connection to a government authority or local authority that they are disabled. And if you're disabled, you're twice as likely to be unemployed and you have to apply for 60% more jobs. And, you know... Work's important to everybody, right? Whether you're disabled or not. But I would argue that work is actually essential for disabled people, for those that can work, because life costs so much more when you live with a condition and an impairment. And largely that's because we live in a, in a pretty inaccessible society. So let me break that down. So on average, disabled people face unavoidable extra costs of £583 a month. So these are things like, um, I'll, I'll use me for an example. So 
I can't use public transport, so I have to spend a lot of money on taxis or finding other ways to get around this very overcrowded city of London. I'm three foot ten, which means that there are no clothes designed for me. In fact, dogs have more clothing options than disabled people. So I can't go into a store and buy all my clothes. I have to pay someone to cut half of the item off before I can wear it. And, you know, currently in a cost of living crisis. And for many disabled people, it's, it's gone beyond the choice of choosing between heating their home and eating. Because there are loads of barriers for disabled people to be economically active and employment is one of them. And finally, like, I, I do a lot of work around extra costs because I, I just don't think it's fair that disabled people have to pay more to try and live the same lives as others but have less or no choice. So I added up all my extra costs last year from 2022 and it's amounted to, to just under £13,000. So I have to earn at least £13,000 before I can even think of paying my rent, feeding myself, travelling, you know, just doing all the average things, that not, not any luxuries, just standard basic living. This is it's a crisis, if I'm being honest, and I don't think people really understand the true extent of this. Yeah, and sorry, did you say 14.6 million was the number in the UK only? <clears throat> so it's all, I was gonna say, there's over one quarter of the entire UK population, and this is it's this underserviced. Okay, and I mean, if you have it to hand, not specific figures, but obviously this is a global crisis, right? It's not just the UK. Would you say there are other countries or geographies that are more progressive around this, or is it a real global thing? I think it's fair to say the more um, rural the places are, or perhaps the less um, developed a country is, the 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 harder it is for disabled people because they don't have infrastructure that other countries might have. And then when I talk about the issues that we have in the UK compared to a global scale, sometimes I think, actually, I don't have anything to, to complain about. But with the country that we are, you know, we live in the Western world. Uh, we're one of the richest countries in the world. We're massively failing disabled people, whether they are our, our employees or customers. Um, but it, it's it's a relatively large-scale problem and when we look at disability in a global context 15% of the world experiences disability and then when we look at it from a consumer issue disability touches 73% of consumers because that includes disabled people along with their family and friends who have that emotional connection with disability but I just also want to share something else so I think people think disability is a bit of a them and us situation, like it's just that minority group over there, but it's just not the case. We're actually the largest over-excluded community in the UK, but in the world. And this is an opportunity because we, we know now that the more diverse your company is, the more diversity um, and intersectionality that you have within your organisation the more productivity you will have and the more profitability you will have as well within your organisation. But it also means that you're excluding like the biggest consumer segment as well from a, from a consumer perspective. And 
I also think that people think disability is just about ramps and wheelchairs, but that's not the case because 70% of disabled people live with non-visible conditions and impairments. So what I would urge people to do is to really educate themselves on the spectrum that disability is. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's a very wild point. I mean, one of the things I would say is that we're seeing a lot of attention around diversity, equity and inclusion in the generic term, whether it's around gender or race, but clearly we don't see as much press when it comes to disability. I mean, if you look at some of the FTSE 100 companies and Fortune 500, I mean, what's your experience with A, their attitude towards it and B, what they're doing to sort of build um, you know, visibility around it? It's a great question and you're absolutely right. I always describe it as you know, disability is the poor, the poorer sibling in the entire, you know, DNI conversation, or when we look at those protected characteristics. When in actual fact, it shouldn't be, because in the disability community, you have the true essence of diversity, because we're a non-homogenous group. So I would ask people to really flip the narrative. If you actually look at meeting the needs of disabled people, by default, you will meet many of the other protected characteristics needs as well. And a really big point, if if the moral case doesn't um, resonate uh, with you, is commercially, disabled people have a, a collective spending power of £274 billion to the UK economy. And when you solve problems for disabled people, you can extend that solution to everybody, so everybody benefits. Because, you know, a disability, it's not, it's not just this fixed thing. It's, you know, um, you know I, I have my condition, I have a short stature, but I'm only disabled when I experience a barrier or bias, like, you know, getting into work. I could work, I wanted to work, but it wasn't my condition that was stopping me. It was other people's stigma. So we have to really understand like what the barriers are. We also need to stop blaming disabled people because so many of us can and want to work and we shouldn't have to have all of these challenges to, you know, in order to access work. We we already have a full-time job in managing our health, you know. We, We just want to get on and do what everybody else is doing to the best of our ability. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I think, look, one one thing I'd appreciate maybe for people that are going to watch this is, you know, what's some advice you can give for, you know, HR directors, heads of HR for companies, or even the broader community that people that run businesses? I mean, how can they approach this practically? Because you're right, people will be thinking, look, I want to absolutely engage and make sure we're becoming inclusive as a culture. But at the same time, in all reality, people want to win commercially and make sure that their business is making the most money possible. And the one thing that we talked about, I remember previously, is that there is a real commercial case for this as well, right? So people shouldn't fear being more inclusive around disability for the, you know, um, let's call it a sort of deduction of profit, because that's not the case, right? Just talk to me a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, isn't that why everybody's in business to make money and to be profitable and to be successful, right? And that doesn't have to come at a cost of not giving meaningful opportunities to disabled people. There's absolutely a, a, 
a way to ensure that you're including disabled people in your workforce. And there are some organisations that have absolutely cracked it and are smashing it, and they're really leading the way. But let's be honest, in this larger and broader conversation of diversity and inclusion, I think a lot of people are pretty confused. I think these terms are used pretty interchangeably, and that means the true essence of these words, like diversity and inclusion, they get lost. So essentially, what's diversity? Diversity is understanding that lots of different characteristics and identities make people who they are. And inclusion, at its most highest level, is accepting people for who they are and what makes them who they are and ensuring that there's a culture there, that, that they can be who they want to be and that they feel psychologically safe. So I think my best advice would be is, I know this feels scary. You're not alone in that. Lots of other people, you know, have been on this journey and have equally felt um, that it's a really daunting task because I think I think language is really important. And perhaps if people don't understand what the most appropriate language is right now, that could even be a barrier to start in the conversation. So I would say really do your research. Get a solid definition down for you personally, but also your organisation of what disability is. Yes, we have our legal definitions, but it's very black and white. It needs to go beyond that because the best companies um, look beyond, you know, the minimum the minimum eligibility. Um, then I would say look into the social model of disability. So I think in the world, we have a very medicalised view of disability that you know, we aren't integrated in society as a result of, you know, our own inadequacies or our own conditions and impairments. But as I've already explained, like, I'm very capable and willing and able to work. It wasn't my condition that disabled me. It, it was society. So back in the 1980s, disabled people created the social model of disability, which explains exactly that. And when you when you adopt the social model of disability at an organisational level, that, that's a brilliant guide for you on how to talk about disability, on what language to use. And it helps you to remember that you're not there to ask people what their medical history is or, um, you know, you don't, you don't need a diagnosis. You just need to understand what are the barriers in you doing this role and how can we as the organisation remove them? It's as simple as that, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really great. No, it's great. I mean, and, and one other thing I was going to ask, obviously you said there's, there's so many different types of disabilities and in practical terms, obviously some roles require heavy lifting or you've got to reach high shelves or you've got to, you know, get to certain locations. I mean, how do organisations and people, you know, try and categorise and understand doing that fairly? Like what's fair and what's just not? practical you know how, how, and there's a bit of fear of that right as well because you don't want to get that wrong so just talk to me a bit about that that's a great point and this is something that you know I've worked with a lot of organizations on and let's be honest and let's be frank you can't adjust a job away right we have a legal obligations to make reasonable adjustments for disabled people in the UK but it has to be reasonable and you also have to still meet your business needs um so there are different ways of approaching that, and the best the best way um, is to base your approach to 
um, jobs and how you create them. But also when you look at removing barriers, look at it from a functional perspective. So if you've got somebody, like I know, when I was younger, I wanted to be an air hostess, right? But I'm the height of a four-year-old. That's just not going to happen. But if, if I applied to do that job, there wouldn't be a lot of it I could do. Yes, that might be a difficult conversation for an employer to have for me, but it needs to be had. So what I've previously done in the past is I've spoken to the candidate, I've explained more about the role and asked them how they would um, you know, do that, approach that. We've explored possible adjustments. So if I'm being if I'm being honest, the easiest and I think the most simplest answer is, is to approach it with compassion and empathy. This is you can't like throw a blanket approach or process at it and I know that that can be challenging as well especially when it comes to like volume recruitment but the more the more personable that you can be with it the better and then you know the other uh, option is is to re look at other jobs that can be available what other um roles can that person do can is there a, a possibility for redeployment or signposting to something else and finally I just to signpost um in the uk we have something called access to work it's a government funded scheme where disabled people can go up to seventy thousand pounds worth of funding which is a grant you don't have to pay it back um which helps to pay towards reasonable adjustments obviously there's eligibility criteria um you know it's not just given out freely um you have to meet certain criteria but I feel like it's the government's best kept hidden secret that the rest of the world envies that program and I don't think many employers know about it. Mm. I certainly didn't know about that and that's a formidable sum of money as well right you know it's not small but it's very good yeah. It is good isn't it yeah so I think as well like work with a disability expert work with an accessibility uh, and disability consultant because um, most of us have this lived experience but we're very experienced in how to change culture how to change processes and we understand the law um, and I just want to de debunk a couple of myths about employing disabled people if I may because I often hear like oh, it's going to be really expensive to employ a disabled person or oh, I need to knock down my office, um, you know, in order to get them in the building or are oh, they going to have loads of time off sick? But there's loads of research out there that proves the complete opposite. First of all, disabled staff are the most loyal staff. And I truly believe it's because we're so grateful just to have a job. It's tough out there, you know, as a disabled job seeker. Um, secondly, there's absolutely no evidence that shows that we're unsafe to be in the workplace and of course remote and hybrid working helps with that now um, and we are as productive as other non-disabled colleagues as well so really lean into this community we are we're so resilient and talented like just the skills that I've had to learn throughout my life because I have a short stature uh, you know, I'm, I'm a great problem solver, I'm creative, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm resilient. Who doesn't want that talent within their employees? No, I mean, absolutely. And, and look, one thing I wanted to quickly bring you back to that we discussed there, because I think it's a really important topic, is this fear of how to communicate your feelings. And again, I remember when we spoke previously, you said that 
all that the disabled community want is recognition and transparency versus being ignored, right? And I think there may be this sort of, I guess, fear factor as well of the language you use or getting yourself into a potential legal dispute. And this is why people are worried to even engage in the first place because they don't know what they can and can't say, which must be very, <clears throat> excuse me, frustrating for, for you and the broader community because you need that explanation, right? You, you want that understanding of, okay, just tell me why and be productive around it. And then at least you're feeling like you've got the fair chance. So how do people learn more about this? You know, do we just say to people, it's not as bad as you think? You can just talk to us how you feel. I mean, just, just give us a bit of insight about that piece. Yeah. And look, that's a really valid point and one that I hear really often. Because let's be honest, it wasn't that long ago that disabled people were being institutionalised and... I feel like personally, I feel that the perception of disability, especially in the UK, is that either everybody everybody either views you as a benefit cheat or everybody thinks that you want to be a Paralympian. We don't have good representation of what's in the middle, which is, you know, yes, there might be some disabled people that are not able to work and they should be able to have that support from you know, the welfare and the state. And there are lots of people and disabled people that can and want to work too. Or there are other disabled people um, and they might have different ways of working or reduced hours, different time, you know, it's all out there. We're, we're talking about nearly 15 million people. And I think what upsets me the most is that we we need we need money to pay our extra costs. Um, it's not nice to feel financially insecure. and it's a something as simple as someone not having the confidence to have a conversation or to be bold enough to think, I need to get my head around this. I need to just start this journey because I know that as soon as I start it, I'll be learning and the easier it will be. It's That really saddens me. So my advice is, is don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid to make a mistake. If you make a mistake, apologise, move on and carry on because... As I said earlier, we're in a crisis. We are in a huge unemployment crisis. And I don't really feel that the government have quite handled this yet either. So, and when you think about who's more influential, personally, I think businesses can make this change very quickly. Otherwise, we wouldn't have influencers that earn so much money. Businesses are massively influential. So not only is it something that can help uh, you be profitable, uh, be productive but it can it, you know it's great CSR um, but it means that you're going to have great talent as well so my advice is, is like don't don't let the fear paralyze you into inaction we're, we're, we're tired of that now it's not helping us as long as you work with experts you'll be fine and and a business is putting enough budgets and do, do they know what they need to do so for instance do they need to do more PR more marketing with inclusive disability does it need to be more visible I mean you know you see it now with plus size models you see you know the diversity around race and gender there's clearly more of this on our TVs and on billboards now but you still don't really see the disability um, community do you um, and there's some of it you do of course but it's not as visible I mean is it something they just need to throw pounds at is it that logical or is there more to it than that I think you've hit the nail on the head I think a lot of people especially PR and marketing teams are 
fearful they're doing you know amazing things and when I've asked like why haven't you shouted about this why can I see no press about this they're just scared of the backlash but if I'm going to be honest as I've said like there's nearly 15 million of us we're not all going to love everything just like other groups right we as disabled people are just like everybody else we just have a condition or impairment that we live with I think criticism and feedback is really important, um, but that's why it's important that you involve disabled people in whatever you're doing from the beginning. Don't just do a bit of a focus group at the end and say, we did this for you. You have to include us from the start. And there are so many ways to do that now. More than ever, there are dedicated uh, market research companies out there that have got hundreds and thousands of disabled people I've talked about consultants and experts you've got people who are experts by lived experience so if I'm being honest it's getting over your own fear understanding the responsibility that you have as businesses and as marketeers um you know you have an obligation here to society and just get on with it we, we just what, we're just going to be left to fall into more poverty. It's not okay. No, I agree. And, and look, I think, look, look at the industry we work in. You know, there is millions of us around the world. And I think we've got a job to do as a as a middleman woman to, to actually be that voice as well. Um, you know, sadly, I'll be very honest as well. We've been on briefs with big multinationals that said we need a woman in this role or we need a non-white male but they've never said we need a disability in person you know and, and that's the issue so you know one of the reasons I really wanted to get this together was to really start to highlight this in more detail I mean look before we finish let's just think about some other sort of key practical tips that you might want to um, just talk about that we've not covered so anything and everything that you think that that, that might be valuable to add here yeah I think a lot of um companies and businesses that I work with often say to me well why do we need to do this we don't have any disabled people but that can't be true because you know one in five of us in the UK are disabled so what that is an indication of is that actually you probably have a lot of people with non-visible conditions and impairments that don't feel safe to share that information with you and I always say well wouldn't you rather have people that are focusing on doing their job rather than hiding a big part of their identity. So don't don't sit there and think, you know, um, that you don't have any disabled people. The chances are you've got a lot, a lot that you probably do not know about uh, because, you know, as we've spoken about, it's just more than ramps and wheelchairs and mobility aids. It, it's far beyond that. Um, and I think I'd just like to come back to the point that it's not as difficult and it's not as scary as it seems. So I think a good place to start is to get a definition, learn about the disability community, adopt the social model. Again, you know, you can get help to do that and understand where you as your own organisation, understand where you stack up. You know, how can you really go out there and try and meet the needs of your disabled workforce if you don't really understand the current picture? And that is not something that's going to happen overnight because trust takes a long time to build uh, and this is really personal information if you think about the stigma that we have in even entering the workforce it's just as difficult uh, to stay in the workforce as well and and 
you know, being truthfully honest, I'm 35. I've struggled to get in the workforce. I've struggled to stay in the workforce. And now, after COVID, I'm like, oh, my God, how long will I be able to work for? So it's kind of this never-ending cycle of worry. And I think we can't forget, like, the other benefits of being in employment, like private healthcare. That's amazing, like, especially now when it's very difficult to get an appointment in the end. There's so so much more than just money that this opportunity provides. It's social interaction. Disabled people are one of the largest socially isolated groups of people. So, you know, social mobility, um, really helping to us as a community thrive and, and pass on opportunities to others. So I hope I hope that helps. So there's just a few starters there. No, it does. Yeah, I mean, you literally opened up a new world of knowledge for me that I'm now going to go and explore in much more detail. And and look, I almost feel guilty myself for not just thinking earlier about this. Obviously, you know, you just don't unless somebody else does it. And I think it has to be a habit and, and it has to be something where osmosis ends up taking over because everyone's looking into it and that's how we create a change, right? So, yeah. And, you know, I, I've met a lot of people that have said that and... I think I think that guilt feeling is just an acknowledgement of privilege and that's okay and you know privilege isn't a bad word privilege isn't a dirty word and privilege does not mean anything to diminish anybody's achievements it's just a distinction of you've not had the same things to contend with as some of the people and that's okay that's that's very natural um so what I would say is if because a lot of people say this to me like oh my god I feel so guilty we, we don't want your guilt. All we want people to do is to, to create meaningful opportunities, to meaningfully engage and include disabled people and to, to help us thrive and earn money. And that's not difficult. So this can be turned around. What we need is people to stop turning the other way. We need less apathy. We need people to care about this. Morally, it's the right thing to do as well as commercially. And I love the idea from an emotional and social perspective of, you know, employers seeking out ways to find the community that's already working for them and give them that confidence to be able to come out and have those those conversations. Because, you know, one in five, you're right, there must be so many disabled people working in companies they just don't even know about. And, you know, that isolation is not going to help their productivity, it's not going to help their happiness. And, you know, truly diverse teams are the best thing. So that's what we're looking for. But look, Shani, thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. I know it's probably not easy to talk about some of these things, but I know you've done it for a long time now. But it's wonderful to see that, you know, somebody from the disability, um, you know, inclusion area is really flying the flag here because it needs to be done. And um, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.